Hello and welcome to another episode of Autodesk Digital Builder Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Thomas. And today we are in San Francisco at Autodesk's One Market office, filming a whole bunch of podcasts and doing a bunch of cool stuff. And I am privileged to be joined by Camille Hardin, a project manager with Flint. How are you doing today? Thank you for coming. I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, we're going to talk about all kinds of nerdy stuff about technology and some really important themes tied to diversity and construction. And to kick us off on that kind of topic track, I was hoping when you step back and look at today in the future of the construction industry, where do you see the biggest opportunities for impactful change? Well, I think when we're talking about impact, we need to look at the workforce and then how we are creating the work and delivering the work. And when we're talking about workforce, I think it's important to look at the diversity of the workforce and how we're really finding new talent as we need more people to replace those who are retiring, as well as just new delivery systems. I think the biggest one that comes to mind is the idea of prefabrication. You know, we've been building in certain ways for decades, hundreds of years, and how can we really start looking at new ways to do that? And I think the idea is prefabrication. And how do we tie this all together? I would I would definitely say with the use of technology that is here now and that's emerging in the industry. We're at such a unique moment in the construction industry too, because we're not talking about change just for the sake of change. We're talking about it in a way where the systems, the conversations, the technology is, is really moved forward at a moment where we can step back and go, how can we improve the way we're building? How can we do better? And I'm just incredibly thankful to be in this moment right now. And you mentioned diversity and alluded to diversity both in our workforce and in the way that we're building right now is those kind of big key drivers in changing instruction. To start us off, can you talk a little bit more about what workplace and workforce diversity means to you? Yeah, I think, you know, when we think of diversity, it's important, obviously, to think about different backgrounds and people's experiences and, and how they can bring that. And of course, I think that comes with a lot of soft skills as well. A lot of differences or maybe just stereotypes, you know, and when I'm thinking specifically about gender between men and women, especially as construction is so male dominated, even today, it's still only 11% women. Typically, we think of women as having the soft skills of being the collaborators and the peacemakers and, and getting everyone together and, and maybe the men being more assertive. But I think what we need to start looking at is why aren't we really tailoring everybody to have these skills, both skills. And I think we can create this diversity by looking at different backgrounds and, and maybe in some people grew up more introverted. I think in the United States specifically, we prize that extroverted loud person who, you know, the cheerleader, but sometimes it's good to look at that softer skilled person, especially in something like construction that for all intents and purposes is a group project. And there needs to be that person. Maybe everybody needs to have these skills of, hey, we need to come together. I think when we think of construction, we think of oh, we're the old guy yelling at everybody and screaming and, you know, all these things. But as we've evolved and as we're, we're progressing, I think it's going to be important to have people of different backgrounds, whether it's gender, race, culture, and bringing those ideas and those perspectives can be enlightening. And they've proven that they have huge economic impacts for companies if you've got people with different ideas, because that's how we become, have creative solutions. I've unfortunately been in those rooms where 
there's somebody in there yelling at a bid review or I've been a, standing outside of conference rooms where people are screaming and yelling at each other. And I feel like we're shifting away from that. And even in organizations where we're not, I also feel like more people are having conversations like the one we're having right now. And it's encouraging, especially with the younger generation, because they're far more adept and comfortable having those conversations. Since there's a lot to be learned both in the the more experienced people to bring those trades together and in the experience to the younger generation. But I think the younger generation has a whole lot to offer on how we can make sure everybody's working together in a more effective way. And so I'm encouraged by it, but there is a lot of work to do. And it's not something that just happens by accident either. I, I think it's it's a meaningful and deliberate conversation. And only up in the last few years have I had leaders and managers who set that example and talk about it in a very deliberate way too, where they go, this is a safe space to tell me how you feel about the thing. And we're not going to judge you for it. And we want to hear everybody's opinion. And if you're the kind of person that likes to take the information and sit and think about it and then get back, that's a very different moment from everybody who might be in the moment and that loud person that you're talking about. And on that thread, I know you spoke at a recent Autodesk event supporting women in construction. Can you share some of the more common topics that came up during those conversations? I think, and this is industry-wide, that the biggest reason that they found that women leave construction, because it's one thing to get a woman in construction, but then how do you keep them there? And the biggest reason for leaving is harassment and the lack of respect. And I think everyone in that room that was there has experienced that in some form or another. You know, when we're talking about the construction industry being only 11% women, 76% of those are in the office and only 24% are in the field. And that means both either project managers like myself that are on site every day and then even less that are actual tradespeople. And I think it's dealing with that almost that that noise is what I like to call it. It's so draining because all you want to do is do your job and do it well and instead, you just have these, you know, you're alluding to kind of that older generation who doesn't understand it. And sometimes it's not, there's obviously the blatant harassment. And I think everybody can recognize that, oh, that's that's definitely not okay. Yeah. But it's those subtle microaggressions, kind of those, um, and sometimes it's unconscious. You know, I think that what I found typically men are making comments, it's they think they're being nice, they think they're being funny, and it's just not. Yeah. any of those things, you know, and I think that's what we were all sharing in that space is, hey, we all deal with this and you're always trying to figure out what's okay, what's not okay, when do you press forward, when do you just let it roll off your back? And and the answer is it's never okay. And I think it's really educating the entire workforce and and having them understand that it's very frustrating to experience that and just having open ears and, and that understanding and then, then that empathy. And it, it is hard because a lot of people have been in this industry for, for decades and they're, they're not used to this, you know? And I think we're kind of at that stepping stone and maybe a lot of industries were here 30 years ago where they're trying to feel out, you know, as the older generation leave the industry and the new come in, they're going to be more ideas and more understanding of, of that. And hopefully we can bring up more diversity in that sense. And I think as more people that are your age and my age are starting to take more of those leadership opportunities too, those conversations are also starting to change a little bit in a way that I'm, I'm again, I'm, I'm encouraged by the fact that 
people are talking about it, but we're not talking about it enough, obviously, because I appreciated your perspective on the framing as far as like a microaggression goes, where it's not that blatant, oh, I'm you know, now saying something incredibly inappropriate, whether it's in a work environment or otherwise, but it's it's an illusion or it's something that's been inferred or a an unfair expectation that is is set and it's it's implied and it's a hard thing to qualify sometimes unless you have an environment where it's okay to grab that person and say, hey, I want to talk to you about this thing. This makes me feel uncomfortable and this is why. And if your organization doesn't back somebody when they do that, that's when people start leaving. That's when yeah, they step back absolutely. and they go, this happened again. I talked to you about it, not in a way where I'm you know, blowing up the world, but I'm trying to teach you. I'm trying to help you understand and if, if you don't create those spaces, both within the leaders that are at your organizations and the people that work there, I can see why people leave. It's, it's challenging. Did any other themes come up in those conversations as well? I'd be interested just to, to hear what, what else was top of mind. Yeah. You know, there's always, I've talked about this with some of my other female coworkers, the idea that, you know, you won't go into the workforce and whether it's societal or biological, you're always thinking about what happens when I decide to have kids? And something like construction is on site and you're with primarily men. So you already feel different. And then to decide to, if you, you should want to have children is now you really feel alone and trying to navigate what that means. You know, it's one thing to be working in the office, but another to be a tradesperson. I mean, we need to bring in more women as we are losing, you know, all these senior, workforce tradespeople and how are we going to do that? And obviously we have 50% of the population who are great resources and just as competent. But, you know, if you're a young woman, you're going to think, well, how am I going to be a carpenter and, and pregnant essentially? And I think it's how can we create that flexibility and if should you want to go to the trades or stay on site, how we can really create benefits and um, opp opportunities for women that don't have to feel like that is like you can't do that because you might want a family in the end or, you know, even the hours can be very strenuous. And how can we start adjusting those to really tailor more to a better work life balance? I, I honestly I, I couldn't imagine that situation. And as I've gotten older, I've had more colleagues who've gotten pregnant and I've had friends who have been very candid about sharing feelings exactly like you're alluding to right now. And I've been very appreciative when people have shared that with me because one, it's an experience that I will never personally have. And I recognize that. But without hearing those perspectives and understanding why it's a challenge in enlightening and in, in educating people, it's going to continue to be a barrier. And there, there's a perception problem with construction in general, even not considering the child and pregnancy aspect of it that we need to work on. But you're absolutely right. I, I don't know how, if I were a, a female tradesperson out on site and I got pregnant, like, how do you have that conversation with your boss? First and foremost, how do you, when do you tell them? How does that change the time you spend on site before you go out on maternity leave? And do those resources actually exist? Like it's so much. So I, I, I empathize as best I can there. And I, I, I candidly don't have the solution for that. And leading off of that, it, it kind of spins into my next question. So what can we do? And it doesn't have to necessarily be tied to just childbirth specifically, but how can we offer more flexibility to our teams and, and hire people and make them feel like they have a space within construction that's safe to have these conversations and have a child and all these other things? Like, what are some of those steps that somebody out there 
should be taking to, to be more equitable as they, you know, bring their teams together. Yeah, that's what exactly what I was going to say was that it's the idea of equitable, not just equity, you know, like, yes, we can all have six weeks of paid family leave as we should, but we, st we still need to understand that there is a biological recovery time for women, you know, and, and what does that look like and how can you still provide that recovery time while still ensuring that you have a job and a career and, you know, you don't just take off time and then there's nothing to come back to. And we have laws obviously in place yeah. to protect that. But I think it's really looking at our upper management and they recognizing that and saying, hey, this person, this woman, as what we're talking about, is a huge asset to our company. And we need to make sure that we can help her balance between motherhood because it's not just about motherhood and it's not just about women. This is also, it's a family issue, right? It's, you want to provide the best for your child and, and how can you do that? A lot of times, especially we saw through the pandemic that women were the ones who left the workforce to take care of the children. Cause you think, oh, we're working from, or a lot of people working from home, but at the end of the day, it's, you don't have childcare. You have to work from home or it's such an inconvenience. You can't get any work done that you end up quitting your job. And I think it was something crazy. Like almost a hundred percent of that was woman. Yeah, and I, I saw a ton about that where, and I had so much empathy for my colleagues who had children at home who were maybe a little bit older. And so the expectation was, oh, your, your kid can have homeschool while you're home for working. And it's just like, that's outrageous. Right. <laughs> because the, like you and I can sit down in front of a Zoom call and be on a Zoom call for eight hours. And that's okay because it's miserable, but you can do it. And right. you understand the circumstance. How do you get a six-year-old to do that? And then also still be a productive worker. And so right. like for me, the, the big thing that came out of the pandemic, even if, like construction will obviously never be a fully remote industry because we're building things. Right. But it has shed a light on flexibility has a whole lot of value and importance. And as, as we try to bring in people from other industries or non-traditional backgrounds that haven't supported construction previously, this is what you have to do to make that happen. And if you don't, People are just going to, why, why would I go work in the trades if I don't have the flexibility I have if I work for a technology company? Yeah, you know, and that's exactly. obviously not the entire conversation, but it's, it's an important nuance, especially for somebody, you know, your age or my age or younger, like that flexibility is huge. So there's a lot to be thought about there. Yeah. I, I think that was something that there is a very small select group of people before the pandemic, but all the chaos that came out of the pandemic, I think that was one thing that a lot of people realized is, hey, there is flexibility here and I can produce as much and I am committed to my company. I just also realized that there's other ways to do it, you know, and like we're going to talk about, it's that how can we take something that's been existing for so many years and just shift it a little bit to make it better for everybody? Yeah, because I, I remember when I was still working for a couple of the GCs in my past, productivity was very often defined by butts and seats. Like if you mm -hmm. weren't at your desk, whether it was the office or at a project site trailer or something, your butt wasn't in that seat doing the thing, you weren't being productive. And we know now that that's outrageous. I'm, I'm actually more productive at home than I was in the office, especially in open office environment, because the chaos isn't there. I can focus, I can pay attention. And so there's a lot of stuff to think about there. Do you think there's any other ways that we should think about that we can 
make changes or accommodations within the construction industry specifically to bring in these diverse skill sets and people from different backgrounds? Like, is there other areas we should be focusing? You know, we were talking about that balance and that flexibility. And I think at least when I look at the San Francisco Bay Area, which is where I've spent all of my career is a lot. And because real estate is so expensive, people, most middle-class people have no choice but to buy a house or live so far away from where the jobs and the projects are. You know, a lot of them are in the metropolitan areas of San Francisco or Oakland or Berkeley, San Jose. And so a lot of these tradespeople are coming in from two hours away. So if you're driving two, let's say an hour and a half, if you can beat traffic, hour and a half back, that's three hours minimum, probably four hours. That has to take a huge stress on either your marriage or your family or even just yourself if you're single. I mean, that's, I wouldn't want to drive. I don't have kids and I wouldn't want to drive that it's far. Tough. I, I did it for years living in the Bay Area and it's a burden. It's, it's mm-hmm. a huge burden. And the pivot that we all saw, especially as like technology workers like myself, the amount of time that I got back from becoming a mostly remote-based employee was astonishing. And I'm actually putting more time in and focused more at work when I am doing my work because I just, I finish my breakfast, I might've worked out and then I sit at my desk and I'm, I'm there, I'm present, I'm doing it. And it's not the, oh gosh, I got to get myself all together, do my commute back or whatever. And if I have to put some extra time in at some point on a project or whatever, it's easier to do that because I don't have an hour or an hour and a half long commute to get back home when it's done. So it's, it's just, the benefits are tremendous. And I'm hopeful that construction starts to embrace that flexibility where it's appropriate more often because there are some jobs that don't have to be on site all the time. And there's some jobs, especially as we start adopting more technology, that don't have to be on site at all. And that's, you know, it's a huge win. So Right. And I think, you know, like you alluded to is that construction will never be fully remote. It can't be. It's like being a doctor or a nurse. Like you have to be there. You need physical labor to do these tasks. But I think what companies can start looking at is, one, looking at projects where more people live. If you have that ability, because that's sometimes hard just based on where larger scale projects are. And then the idea of prefabrication offsite. Could you do the majority of all of the the work that needs to be put into the project offsite at a location that is more affordable? I mean, kind of that idea of manufacturing that I feel like construction hasn't really dove into too much until the past 10 years. And it was probably because we didn't have the technology to do it before. I think that's a big part of it. And I've, I've been encouraged by the stronger focus on the prefab approach too. I remember the first times I was seeing, you know, RFPs coming into my inbox when I was, you know, my former proposal manager life. And when there were prefab requirements or suggestions for prefab, it was always like, we're going to do our casework. We're going to do our, our cabinetry, like small aspects of our project. And it wasn't really a serious consideration of prefabbing everything. But what you just said is something I actually hadn't heard before. I've, I've talked about prefab with a number of people, and it's something we talk about at Autodesk very frequently because it's an important thing to consider as we move our industry forward. But selectively putting those factories in places where the cost of living is lower seems like it has a huge win that allows you to staff more people, give them access to housing that they can afford, and not be in a car for an hour and a half every morning and every evening. And if you have an embrace, if you really embrace prefab as a company, you can build that infrastructure because you can build beautiful facilities with prefabricated elements. It's not ugly square boxes like many people think. No, There's so much going on there. 
So tell me a little bit more about the the prefab process that you've been implementing on some of your projects. Like, what does it look like and how have you found success at Flint? Yeah, I'm really excited to be a part of a company that's really on the trajectory of this prefabrication process. And you really sees that as the next step in construction. We've been using a variety of technologies to be able to do that. You know, it, it always starts with coordination. I mean, the biggest cost of any construction project is when you get started and you have to redo something because it either wasn't coordinated or there was a mistake that was done. So when you're talking about prefabrication, you're able, like you said, not only to to have people close by who are willing maybe to put a little extra hours if they need to and because they don't have to drive so far, you know, they don't have to leave at one in the afternoon to try to beat traffic. Yeah. Instead, they would leave at three and now their commute's four hours instead of an hour and a half. Yeah, exactly. And then you're also in this co- in controlled environment where you can you can really make sure that everything is right. Everything is square. Everything is plumb. So that when you're ready to send it out, you're able to just put it together. But the other benefit is the schedule, which is always, you know, when we talk about construction projects, we talk about budget and schedule. And the amazing thing with prefabrication, once you've been able to coordinate everything and figure out where everything goes, is creating these prefabricated elements while you're still doing concrete slab on grades, steel, you know, the very basic structure, the beginning of the project. You're already setting this up. So instead of getting to that point where, okay, we're going to start putting in duct work and, and metal studs, you've already got that all ready to go. So you're just talking about slamming it in there, you know, how much faster you can, you can deliver these projects by doing that and figuring out these issues early on because you've got the technology to do so. Yeah. It gives you a fair shot at some just in time delivery because your scheduling and everything is built out and you go, this is ready and we can time this and boom, now we're on site. Your laid down area is set up properly and you're good to go. So there's, yeah. there's a huge aspect of that. And I always love talking about safety within the realm of prefabrication too, because that controlled environment that you're alluding to is so important because it's not pulling people off site just to do it. It's you have this factory, you have these controls, you have this environment and anything that we can do in this industry to reduce safety incidents has tremendous value. And so even when you're going to install those prefab elements, now you've got it off site, you've given people more equitable access to housing and the work-life balance they want. Now there's less people that actually have to be there to stand that up and put it together anyway. And so you should have a significant reduction in the safety incidents. And you know, your cost is going to go down. All, all the good things are going to come out of it. It's a huge Absolutely. win. So what technology are you leveraging these days to, to really stand up prefabrication processes, especially when you're building something remote from the project site? So that's the other dance, too, is how do you mesh these two worlds? You've got your factory off where you're putting everything together. You've got the site where you know, you're pouring concrete and everything you alluded to. How does that all come together? Well, we're very fortunate now to live in a time where there we have these 3D modeling programs where the industry standard is Autodesk Revit and taking that model from, from the architect and starting to put all these elements in there and coordinating that, you know, using BIM 360, this building information modeling where you can really start putting everything together. It's really amazing. I mean, the fact that we can figure, like, basically make a 3D model of what this is, this building is going to be and then stick everything, all the guts inside of it and then figure it out. And one thing that I'm so excited to see Flint do is we take it to the next step is before it used to just be MEPs. Okay, everything fit inside the ceilings. We're good. But now it's, okay, how about the metal studs? Let's figure that out. Let's then prefabricate that. So once you've figured out 
where all your your ductwork, sprinklers, plumbing, everything goes, electrical tray, then you can take those elements and start really carving out, okay, I need an opening here, I need an opening here. Okay, my studs still need to be 69 inches on center, so I need to put one here for the drywaller. And you can really map this all out before you even put a shovel in the ground. You can really figure all of this out. It's incredible before any of it's ready to pull the trigger. And that's where the cost is, is once you've pulled the trigger and said, okay, we're going to construction. There's so much more savings to make decisions during design before you've got a guy that you're paying, let's say $70 an hour, just base salary and usually build around what, $120 an hour in the Bay Area? Yep. So you're just, you know, compounding that when you just have a bunch of guys staring at go, well, this isn't going to work. Yeah, and you all walk around, you walk away. Rip it all out again. And the nerd in me right now is in the back of my head, I'm screaming data, 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 data. And everybody who listens to this show has heard me talk about data at length. And I, I can't help myself because it's it's such an important thing to be considering, especially at more progressive technology-focused construction companies. Because for a long time, the the tools didn't really talk. They didn't really transfer the data seamlessly from, from technology to technology, whatever you happen to be using. And at this point now, everything's connected. But also, I'm seeing more contractors and more owners thinking a lot more intelligently about what do I want to do with that data and not just capturing it for the, the sake of capturing it, but what do I want to achieve? What can I learn from this? And now it's actionable data. And it's not just back in the pro or in the office. Now you're, you're out in the field. You've got your iPad and you go, okay, wh what are we doing here? And you get to look at your dashboards and everything else. And if you've prefabricated all of this, your data is going to be even more dialed in than it would have been in other situations. So it's it's just, it all comes full circle. And like I said, the nerd in me can't stop talking about it. So I'll just, I'll dial it down now. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited about it too, because it's, it's amazing that we're at a point, especially in a place like construction, that's always kind of been behind, particularly because we don't do a whole lot of R&D, but we're really pushing it. And, you know, companies like Autodesk are pushing it too. So it's exciting to see. Yeah. I've had people tell me now that construction companies are becoming technology companies because they have to, because they, they leverage and implement so many tools in order to meet the accelerated schedules we're seeing, to, to meet the new methodologies, to be able to be flexible with the materials that we're selecting. Like there's so much stuff that it's like Autodesk, of course, is a technology company, but like Flint is very much a technology company in the way you implement and develop all of these different tools. So I have two final questions for you, and they're recurring ones that I ask everybody that comes on this show. So I love this part because the interesting, the answers are very interesting and vary from guest to guest. And I'd be interested to learn, what is one tool that you bring to every project that you work on? It's funny because I, when I first thought, I go, well, I have to bring my computer everywhere. But really what I take from job to job is my tape measure that I've had since I started. Nice. <laughs> because at the end of the day, that's still what everything is fit to a dimension. And if there's ever an issue, it's probably we're trying to measure it, figure it out. So I've always got one in my pocket when I'm walking around. It's a good answer. I think I have four tape measures in my house. There's <laughs> one in my desk. There's one in the kitchen. And I think there's two in the workshop because I lose things constantly. So it's always good to have a backup one in my toolbox when I'm pulling something out. So that's, a, that's an awesome answer. I, I appreciate that. And outside of that, is there anything that you're working on right now or any opportunities that you'd like to plug for everybody that's out there listening today? I think, you know, when we're talking about the prefabrication and this manufacturing idea, you have to have more of a design build mindset. You know, you really have to think more about the master builder. How can we go back to that centuries ago? That's 
that's who it was. It was the architect was also the engineer and also the builder. And, and they were the idea of that master builder knowing everything to make it all work. And how do we go back to that instead of these little silos that we're all pinned to because of contracts? It's oh, really and it's contentious, unfortunately. Exactly. And, you know, when you look at just something like design, build and DVIA, it's that idea of, hey, let's get rid of that. We don't have to build like that, you know, and I think it's kind of reverting back to that. And it's going to be exciting to see, especially owners, be more interested in, in those different delivery methods than, okay, designer, you finish up, we'll go put it out to bid. And oh, no, it's over budget. And oh, no, everything isn't going to work. And how much more money that costs and time yeah. and being able to instead integrate it all and create these collaborative processes. So I'm really excited to see that more design build master builder mindset move forward in the industry. And I'm, I'm hearing more people talk about integrated project delivery or IPD more frequently too. And that's been an interesting one because I remember when I first started in my career, when IPD came up, there's kind of a, and there's still some hesitancy. And I understand that because it's, it's an entirely different way of thinking about building because the incentives to be collaborative, the incentives to be more transparent are different than when we're contractually separate and we're trying to push our risk onto everybody else. And so there's an education conversation there, both with the owners that you work with. You go, this is awesome and this is why, if you have the infrastructure built to do it, but also with your trade partners and everybody else, because people feel a little bit weird about being like, here's their billing rates and all the other things <laughs> and sharing some of this information. But when everybody wins and you get that schedule ahead or everything else, there's incentive. There's considerable incentive at the end of the day to, to adopt those. So I'm, I'm encouraged to hear that more people are touching those delivery methods. It's a, it's a lot of fun. Everybody out there, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Digital Builder. If you have any questions or want to suggest a guest for a future episode, you can always reach out to me on LinkedIn or find me on Twitter at Builder underscore digital. Also, be sure to check out our video podcasts. All of these are being recorded in video form and can be found on the Autodesk Construction Cloud YouTube channel. So make sure you check that out. And then I'd be a terrible podcast get host if I didn't ask you all to go out and rate our show, either an Apple podcast, Spotify, wherever you're at. It's easy enough to just open up press five stars or whatever you feel is appropriate. I'm biased. Five stars feels like the right number to pick. But outside of that, again, just thank you all for joining us. Thank you, Camille, for coming in today and everybody out there. Goodbye.